Well, I want to tell you the story of two heroes. We've been chronologically going through the Old Testament and uh, looking at the lives of some of the heroes of faith in the Old Testament. And uh, this week, I want to tell you the story of two heroes named Isaiah and Jeremiah, who are both prophets of the Lord, who are given the task to give the message of God to the people of Judah in its waning and declining years in the last few kings. Both of these prophets are interesting because they have a lot of, a lot of similarities. Both of them uh, were given the task to speak God's word. They both started under the reign of a good king, though they lived in different times and different eras. They both died under the reign of an evil king. They both felt inadequate when they were called by God. They didn't feel like they had what it took. They both had their mouths touched by God to be his mouthpiece to their generation. They both had a difficult message from God to deliver to the people. And they were faithful to deliver that message despite the consequences. They also, despite these warnings that they were bound to deliver, they also spoke of a coming hope. And that hope was in the Messiah, a person who was going to be coming and changing things. And not only did the words of these two heroes point to the life of Jesus, but also their lives, their very lives and the way they live point to Jesus. And just as they were faithful to God and to deliver a message, Jesus was also faithful to the Father. And his faithfulness resulted in us the possibility for inheritance of life in the kingdom of God instead of an inheritance of destruction and a life apart from God. I want to start with Isaiah. Uh, He was born before Jeremiah and lived in a time just before Jeremiah. And he was born during the reign of King Uzziah. And King Uzziah was a good king. He started out young. He reigned for 52 years in Judah. And he did well. And as he reigned, uh, Israel and Judah prospered. Things went great. Uh, Everything flourished. They're they're militarily, militarily strong. Even though there were some superpowers on the outskirts of their world that were gaining ground, like Assyria and Babylon, and later than Persia. But uh, during uh, Uzziah, during his reign and later in his life, Isaiah grew and he, it was believed that he served as an official and an advisor to the king. So he worked among the royalty. And during that time when he was serving, Isaiah saw the fall of Israel, the northern kingdom. King Isaiah was a part of Judah, the southern kingdom. But he watched Assyria come and attack, and they were sent by the Lord to destroy Israel and uh, because of their unfaithfulness to God. And nothing was left but ruins and the poorest of people. And then Assyria sent in people from other countries to inhabit the land and take over it. And Isaiah not only saw the humbling of Israel, but he saw the humbling of King Uzziah. During his last few days, Isaiah Uzziah became uh, prideful and he thought that things were going so well that he could do anything. And so he walked into the temple to light some incense. And uh, that was something only priests could do. And uh, only they were designed to do and set apart to do. And uh, as he was lighting the incense and the priest came to warn him and say, you got to get out of here. He was struck with leprosy from the Lord. And all of a sudden Uzziah, he was ready to get out of there. And he was frightened because he encountered the Lord and the holiness of the Lord. Well, During the death, the year that Uzziah died uh, was also the same year that Isaiah was called to be a messenger of God. And it was during that time that Isaiah, Isaiah encountered the holiness of the Lord. 
And it says in the scriptures that Isaiah saw the Lord. We don't know if it was a dream or a vision or he actually saw the Lord in the temple. But he said he saw the Lord sitting on his throne in the temple and the train of his robe filled the whole temple. So this is a magnificent, large picture of the Lord. I mean, he's filling up the place. And so as he sees the Lord, there are these creatures, angelic creatures that are hovering around and they have six wings, two wings they're flying with, another pair of wings are covering their feet, another pair of wings are covering their eyes because they're before the Lord's presence. And as they're, as they're flying, they're hovering around the Lord, they're calling out to him and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. And this is the song of heaven. It's also sung uh, when John later in Revelation gets a glimpse into heaven. This same song is being sung by angelic creatures. And it seems that this song is continually sung before the presence of the Lord, even right now as we sit right here. And Isaiah comes into the presence of the Lord and he encounters the holiness of God. And Isaiah cries out and he says, woe to me. I am ruined, which basically means doom to me. I am coming unraveled. I am undone. I'm coming apart at the seams. That's what happened to Isaiah when he encountered the holiness of God. Somehow, he sensed God's holiness and the weight of it and the splendor of his glory, and it made him very aware of his humanness, It made him very aware of his own sin. Because the next thing Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. Now get this, you know, Isaiah isn't a foul-mouthed guy. I mean, he works in the royal courts. If he had a foul mouth, he'd be kicked out. He wouldn't be working in that position. He's also right now being called to be a prophet of the Lord. But there's something about his sin and encountering it all at once. Now you and I, when sometimes we encounter the Lord, he convicts us of a sin or some sin. And we, we feel the guilt, we feel the conviction, and then we respond to that. Well, I believe that in this moment, Isaiah wasn't just sensing just one sin in his life, but he was sensing the entirety of his, his sinfulness. And it was all before him all at once. And it was overwhelming. That's why he was saying, I am coming undone before God. And he focuses all the sin to one place, to his mouth unclean lips. And and I believe it's more of what Jesus said that that out of the mouth comes the overflow of the heart, that the mouth was a representative of the whole life. And that like in James where it says that the mouth can direct the whole course of a person's life. And so what Isaiah was saying is he was confessing that unclean lips and came from a people of unclean lips was that his whole life, his heart and the overflow of it was just sinful in the sight of the Lord and in sight of a holy God. And so Isaiah felt the weight of God's holiness and was coming undone. But then God sends one of these angelic creatures and they grab with some tongs a live coal from the altar and they carry it over and they touch Isaiah's lips. And the angelic creature says this, he says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And the Lord calls out at that moment, right after that, he says, whom shall I sin? Who will go for us? And all of a sudden, there's a turnaround. There is a reversal of Isaiah's undoneness. Something happened when that cold touched his lips. And when his sin was atoned for, and it was taken care of. Because Isaiah, all of a sudden, 
says, here am I, send me. He's ready to go. He's not undone anymore. He is now a together, solidified man, ready to go. That touch changed him. And the touch of God can change us. That's what the holiness of God can do to each of us in our lives. Well, after he says, here am I, send me, God says, okay, well, here's your job description. Here's what you're going to do as my messenger. You're going to go, and you're going to give a message to the people. And even though they have eyes, they're not going to see. Even though they have ears, they're not going to hear. They're never going to understand what you say, Isaiah. In fact, I'm going to have you say this so much, they're going to become callous to this message, unfeeling. It won't penetrate their hearts. But I'm commanding you to say it anyway. That's one of the hardest things that you could tell a communicator. To say that you're going to talk and nobody's going to understand you. I mean, if you want to get the feel for it, go to a foreign country where you don't understand the language and ask for a bathroom or ask for some food and see how frustrated you get as you're trying to figure out and you're in desperate need, but you can't get there. Well, multiply that by a hundred times and that's probably what Isaiah felt as he delivered God's message and no one heard and no one understood. Well, Isaiah, I think he gulps. He gulps and he asks God another question. He says, how long do I have to do this job? And, and God says, till the cities of Judah lie in ruin, which was basically the rest of Isaiah's life. He didn't see the destruction of Judah that happened in Jeremiah's time. So Isaiah had to be faithful in carrying out this message for the rest of his life. And Isaiah was faithful through the reign of three more kings. Two more were, were good kings and one was evil. And he delivered good news at times, delivered good news to Hezekiah when Assyria, the, the superpower of the time, came and invaded. They had already destroyed Israel, now they were coming against Judah, and they surrounded Jerusalem. They had the city under siege, and Isaiah came and said, guess what, Hezekiah, God has heard your prayers. He's going to rescue this city. Assyria is going to walk away, and they won't destroy this place, and they did. Later, Hezekiah was struck with an illness near the end of his life, and he was told that he was going to die, and Hezekiah repented. He knew he'd been walking in pride lately. And God sent Isaiah back to him and said, I've I've changed. It's all different now because Hezekiah has repented. I'm going to extend his life now, another 15 years. And so Isaiah did get to deliver good messages at times. And in fact, the message of the Lord through Isaiah is recorded and divided into 66 chapters that we have in the Bible. And a lot of times Isaiah is called the miniature Bible or the Bible in miniature because it's similar to the 66 books of the Bible, 66 chapters. The first 39 chapters are like the Old Testament in that they speak of humanity's failure and need for Christ and and turning back to God. The last 27 chapters of Isaiah are like the New Testament, speaking to the hope of the Messiah who's coming to make all things new. Now, Isaiah repeated God's word of warnings. He repeated God's judgment, yet he also told the promises of salvation. Isaiah also sung songs of confidence in God. He gave predictions. He gave warnings and promises which spoke beyond the time of Judah and their captivity and beyond the time of them coming back out of exile from Babylon. He spoke of a time of Christ's first coming, 
Isaiah spoke of a time of Christ's second coming. He spoke of a time beyond even all that. Isaiah spoke so much about the Messiah that the book of Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth gospel. And in history of literature, it's considered one of the most beautiful works because of its powerful imagery. It's quoted and referenced and alluded to in Western literature more than any other work in the Bible and in history. We need to read it. There's good stuff in it. Isaiah 53 is probably the most popular portion of Scripture in Isaiah from the Old Testament. It gives in detail the suffering of the coming Messiah. And it speaks of what Jesus went through, but yet it was written 800 years before Jesus was even born. <coughs> Isaiah spent most of his life in Jerusalem watching the people of God harden their hearts and slowly turn away from him. And as that city that represented the nation of Judah slowly continued in its downward spiral, God gave Isaiah a picture of another city, a city that was going to be perfect, a city that would one day be established, the heavenly Jerusalem. So in the midst of despair, God was still presenting hope to a people and still speaking it to them if they would just hear it, if they would just hear it. Isaiah was loyal to God. He was faithful to speak, whether it was the beauty of the good news or whether it was difficult words of warning and coming judgment. He lived through four, four kings in his lifetime. And with the fifth king, there was an evil man named Manasseh. And just like Ahab was, went down in history as the most evil king of Israel, Manasseh went down in history as the most evil king of Judah. And it was during this time in Manasseh's reign as Isaiah remained faithful to speak this message, that Manasseh, who led the people astray in idolatry, even sacrificed his own sons in fire and, and offerings, he put Isaiah to death. In fact, it's, it's recorded, it's not in scripture, but it's recorded in tradition, that he put Isaiah in a log and had him sawed in two. And many people believe that in Hebrews 11, when it talks about some of the saints, the heroes of the faith, and it mentions this person being put in a log and sawed in two, that it was Isaiah that was mentioned in Hebrews 11. Well, Jeremiah came after the time of Isaiah. In fact, he came around the time of Manasseh's grandson, Josiah. There were a couple of evil kings, and then Josiah came along, and he became a king at eight years old. And his heart was turned towards God. And at age 16, he led his nation in a revival and a renewal of faith as he turned people back to the book of law that was rediscovered because he went and he cleansed the temple and he had the priests restore the sacrifices. And as people and the leadership began to turn back to God, this is when Jeremiah came along and received his call that you heard up here and where Jeremiah said, but Lord, I'm only a, a child. I can't speak these words. And God said to Jeremiah, get up. You're going to speak whatever I tell you to say. Don't say that you're young because I'm going to put my words in your mouth. And then the Lord touched Jeremiah's mouth, just as Isaiah's mouth was touched. And then Isaiah, and then Jeremiah, excuse me, became one of the boldest prophets, yet the most compassionate prophets. And even though he started in the good times of Josiah's reign, he saw the end of Josiah's life, again, ending in pride. He was invaded, uh, Judah was invaded by Egypt, and uh, Jeremiah, and Josiah was killed during that time. And then there were 
the reign of three other kings following Josiah, and they were all evil kings. And during that time, Josiah had to speak a message that God gave him, and it was a tougher message than Isaiah had. Jeremiah had to say, it's over. You've disobeyed, you've forsaken me, and punishment is coming, and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, the kings, the evil kings that heard this message from Jeremiah didn't like it so much. They're trying to rally the people, say, hey, let's defend ourselves against Babylon. They're coming against us. They've overthrown Assyria. They're now the superpower. Now they're coming against Jerusalem. And they said, hey, let's protect ourselves. Jeremiah, you need to shut up. You're discouraging the people. They're wanting to give up. You're saying that that we should just go surrender. No way. We're going to defend ourselves. So Jeremiah was thrown in prison twice. And then Judah was invaded once, twice, three times by Babylon. The second time, all the people were carried into captivity. The third time, the whole city was destroyed of Jerusalem. The walls were torn down. And anybody who was left was taken away except for the poorest of the poor who were left. Jeremiah at the time had been thrown into a pit, uh, a muddy pit, sunk up to his waist in it. He was rescued by a few poor people, pulled out. And uh, there was a governor that was placed there by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians. And this uh, governor decided that he didn't want to serve the Babylonian king, so he decided to rebel. He was put to death. And the remaining Israelites were saying, hey, let's get out of here. The Babylonians are going to come back. They're going to invade us again. They're going to kill us all. And the word of the Lord this time came to Jeremiah, and he said, tell the people, don't go. Tell them to stay. I'm going to protect them. But they wouldn't listen. And so they they took Jeremiah forcibly and they went to Egypt to hide. And Jeremiah told them that if we go to Egypt, we'll all die by the sword. And that's how Jeremiah's life ended. In Egypt, death by the sword. He was known as the weeping prophet because he went to the people and he always told them to repent with tears. And he cried out with compassion with the Lord's voice. And he told them, that to turn their hearts back to God. He told them that, that they were turning to broken cisterns. A cistern was just a water storage tank, and a broken cistern is one that doesn't work, it doesn't hold water. And he said, you've turned to these false gods, you've turned to other things, you've turned to other powers to supply what you need, but really, there's a spring of living water. It's the Lord. Why don't you turn to him? He warned them and told them about false shepherds and said, why do you follow these shepherds who treat you and abuse you in such horrible ways when there's a good shepherd? In fact, the good shepherd is going to come one day and he's going to lead his people himself. And then he spoke of another good time that was coming, a time when God was going to write his law on their minds and on their hearts. He said, I will be their God and they'll be my people. I'm going to make a new covenant The old one will be null and void. Well, whether the people heard it as bad news or whether they heard it as good news, the purpose of prophecy from Isaiah and from Jeremiah was to show that God is God. He's going to do what he's going to do. And to proclaim his word. That was their purpose. The prophet's job was to declare what was true and then tell the people how they should live in light of what was true. Sometimes they would warn of consequences of actions. Other times they would encourage people when circumstances appeared desperate. 
Well, why did I tell you all this? Why did I tell you about Isaiah and Jeremiah? Well, guess what? All of us who are believers, who have Christ living within us, we've been called into the company of prophets. We've been called to join them. You know, on the first day of the church, Peter got up and spoke, and he, pro- and he quoted Joel the prophet, an Old Testament prophet, who quoted 400 years before this. He's, and he got up and said, in the last days, and Peter was trying to explain what was happening as, as everyone was proclaiming the gospel in different languages. And he said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people, young, old, men, and women, and they will prophesy in my name, and they will dream dreams. See, that's what we've been called into. We've been called to be prophets for the Lord, to speak his word, to speak this message to our generation, to be the mouthpiece to our generation. You know, each believer, each one of us is to be an ambassador for Christ. And an ambassador is not only a representative, but also a messenger. And like Isaiah and Jeremiah, we have a message for our generation A message of hope and of warning. A message of reconciling with God. That Jesus came to turn our hearts back to God. He's already done it. And our message does say that humanity is in desperate need because of sin. Our message does say that we must turn away from sin and back to God or else we're heading for destruction. We can't avoid that part of the message Maybe that's bad news. I don't know. I've I've never seen it as bad news. I never could separate the bad and the good. It was all good to me when I heard it. I knew who I was. I knew how I was a screwed up sinner. I knew the condition of my heart. And just to hear that God wanted me back, he didn't have to tell me much more. Just to say that I was accepted in Jesus Christ was good news. And that is part of the good news that we have to share. That there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can escape judgment. We can escape the path of destruction. Jesus is there for us. You know what? It's good news. We may not be good, but we were designed for good originally. That was God's intent. But we were damaged by evil. Damage has been really pretty bad on this generation. But you know what? Jesus Christ and the cross is very powerful. And he can change that damage. He can restore and make us new. And we've been restored for better. We've been restored for a purpose. And we've been sent together to heal. You know what? Our mouths are to be set apart for this message of reconciliation. This message that that Jesus has come, Jesus has come to turn us back to God. You know what, and if our mouths are full with this message, there's really no room for any other thing else or any lesser thing. You know, this uh, past week on Monday, uh, I was in my garage and I was trying to saw some trim and the the thing that I hate about this is, is, and I hate doing trim because you have to be so precise and exact, and I don't have one of those little power miter saws to cut trim, and so I was using one of these little miter boxes and a little hand saw, 
and, and it was hot and it was humid and it was sticky and the saw was sticking and wasn't staying in the miter box and so it jumped out and went over my finger and cut my finger and, and at that moment uh, I was really frustrated and uh, the air turned blue as I let out some curses. And I wasn't cursing man, but I was cursing the saw. I was cursing the miter box. I was cursing the trim. And I was cursing this whole thing that I had to do this. And uh, it was one of those moments where the dog tucked her tail and ran and hid. It was that kind of thing. And nobody else was in the house. It was just me and the dog. And, uh, but it was just after that moment, of course, the Lord, he reminds me, he He speaks to me in this moment. He speaks to me in moments like this. And he says, Shannon, remember, remember how how does praise and cursing come from the same mouth? How does how is that? That shouldn't be. How salt water doesn't come from a freshwater spring. And I recalled how just the night before, I was with all the youth down at the prayer gallery, and we had this awesome time of worship and prayer. And just praising the Lord. And here I was the next moment, Monday night. Something else coming out of my mouth. And so I, I had my moment of repentance, asking God to forgive me. And uh, you guys really enjoy this, don't you? I, I think people really enjoy hearing the, the pastor's sins. It makes you feel better. Um, well, I hope you enjoy it. But uh, it's one of those moments where I, I, I just really go... I, I know that my mouth is set apart and my mouth isn't for these lesser things. My mouth is to be filled with this message of reconciliation and so is each one of us. And I, I gotta be faithful to that. I gotta faithful to, be faithful to that message and I, I gotta speak all of it. I can't leave parts out. And like Isaiah and Jeremiah, I gotta be faithful, faithful to that and so do you. You know what, Isaiah and Jeremiah's words pointed to Jesus Christ, but also their lives pointed to Jesus Christ in his life and his faithfulness to the Father. You see, Jesus was faithful to the Father and loyal to him and went to the cross. He prayed in the garden and said, Lord, is there any other way? I'd really rather not do it this way. Is there some other way to do this, to reconcile people? I know you love these people. You want to bring them back, but there's any other way. But out of love and loyalty to the Father, he said, okay, Father, your will. I'll go to the cross. I'll do it. That's the kind of faithfulness that Christ is putting in us because Christ lives in us. You know, I don't think Jesus was so motivated by thinking of us when he went to the cross. I think he was thinking of the Father and how much he loved the Father and how much the Father loved him. I, I know sometimes I, I make fun of this guy, but, but he wrote a song, again, that I got to make fun of, just said. Like a rose trampled on the ground, you took the fall and thought of me. And it's a nice song. But you know what? I really, I really don't, know if, don't know if Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, if he's really thinking of me. And I, I, I really think that might be a little bit of an arrogant thought at that, at that point, to put ourselves at that point. But it is possible. It's theologically possible. I mean, Jesus is omniscient, omnipotent, and all-powerful. So, yeah, it could have happened. And, and, yeah, and God did demonstrate his love at the cross. But you know what? At that moment, I believe Jesus was looking at the Father, thinking about him. I'm doing this for you, Daddy. I'm doing this for you. And you know what? Jesus living in me and Jesus living in you, I don't think 
that Jesus living in you is so concerned about what other people think. And he's not thinking about other people. He's thinking about glorifying the Father. And so we need to stop worrying about what other people think. And we need to be concerned about what the Father thinks of us and what the Son thinks of us and what the Holy Spirit is urging us to say and prompting us to say. Isaiah and Jeremiah, they suffered because of the message they delivered. You know what? Jesus suffered because he was the message. Not because of what he said so much. He was the Word incarnate. He was the Word became flesh. You know what? They didn't crucify him for being a good teacher. They didn't crucify him because of his good teaching. There are people today of different faiths that talk about Jesus and his teaching. They didn't crucify him for being a good prophet or because of his prophecy. There are other faiths out there that talk about Jesus' prophecy and the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. They didn't crucify him for what he said. They crucified him for who he was. They crucified him for who he said he was. And he said that he was God. Jesus is God, the Son of God. And that's why they killed him. And that's what we would do today if he was here. We would kill him. See, if you remain loyal to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you will one day suffer, not because of your acts of mercy and your acts of kindness to others. You won't suffer because of your good teaching. You won't suffer because of prophecy or, or the telling of the good news message but you will suffer one day because of who you are and who you say you are. I am a Christ follower. I am born a child of God. I've been made new again. I am salt. I am light in the Lord. I've been made into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that's why people will reject you and reject your message. You can say it with the best smile on your face. You could say it with weeping like Jeremiah did. You could be the most compassionate person in the world. And you can do all kinds of acts of mercy and kindness. And there will be people that will respond. There are people responding today to the good news message. But there will be those who will reject and persecute and make you suffer because of that. And it's because of who you are. And you can't escape that. You might try to keep your mouth shut. But if Christ is within you, it won't be able to be contained. It will be recognized. It will be identified. And folks, it's time that we prepare ourselves to be loyal to our God and loyal to the gospel message. It's time for us to ask God to touch our mouths. We might be afraid like Jeremiah. Say, God, I'm afraid. I'm only a child. I don't have the experience, or I'm sinful. We need to ask God to touch our mouths, change us, set us apart. And again, our mouths being a representative of our whole life and our whole heart. The next few moments, the guys are going to come up. They're going to lead us in a song. And as we come to a time of communion, I want it to be a time of asking God to touch us, to touch our mouths, to touch our lives. Asking God to make us bold, like the first believers prayed, that we would move into those, that place of 
prophets and join that company of being message bearers, being God's mouthpiece, that God would allow, wouldn't allow us to be silent any longer. I know, I know that, that we are to live. Our choices are to speak loud. Our actions are, are to match our words. But we can't be mimes for Jesus. I don't know if you've seen mimes before. Sometimes I get confused. I'm going, what are they doing? I don't always get it. And there's a lot of people that see our actions and they're scratching their heads going, it's really different what you're doing, the way you're living, but I don't get it. Can you explain it to me? There's gonna be a point where we have to open our mouths. We ask God to tell us. And, and you know, what's, what's so bad about that part of the message that scares us? You know what? It's just saying, I'm a screwball sinner. And God says every one of us in humanity are screwball sinners. Are you ready to admit it? Are you ready to admit that you need God? And so right before we take communion here, I want us to, to practice humility as Christ followers. Sometimes I, I think we, we forget. And I'd like us to, to speak this confession. And some of you who maybe grew up in liturgical churches, this might be familiar to you. Some of you who didn't may not be. And so if you haven't heard these words, I'd still like you to say them, even though you're, you're maybe just getting the meaning as you're just saying them. But for the rest of us who do mean them, say them out loud. And I'd like us to say them out loud to the Lord, all right? Let's say it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, in word, in deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And Lord Jesus, we come confessing that to you. It's not so hard. It's not so difficult. And Lord, it's really not bad news. It's good news for those of us who truly know that we do need you. And Lord, in this moment, as we remember the blood you sacrificed on the cross, your body that you gave to us, as we remember that and we take communion, Lord, I pray that you touch us, touch our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As the song is played around the room, there's four stations where there's communion. You take a piece of this wafer bread that represents Christ's body and dip it in the juice. You don't have to be a part of this church to take communion with this. This is not a membership thing. This is a body of Christ thing. So we invite you to take part. If you believe that confession, if you believe that Christ is the Savior and that you truly need Him.